0: episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. It is December 9th, and I appreciate you joining me. I'm excited about today's episode. We're going to talk about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I know you like Abraham Lincoln. Why are we talking about this guy? Who is this guy? Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln was our, I think, 16th president. I should know that if I'm, <laughs> if I'm doing a podcast episode uh, on him. But actually, uh, what president, let me see, Abraham Lincoln, yeah, 16th president, uh, served from 1809 to 1865. Uh, He's most uh, noted for having uh, helped free the, ending slavery, not for, I want to say free the slaves, but uh, ending slavery. That was... um, that was his hill to die on. And uh, and I want to talk to you today about him because this is very powerful. I'm, I just finished reading a book called Lincoln's Melancholy. And uh, it's How Depression Challenged a President and Fueled His Greatness by Joshua Wolf Shank. What a fresh, fascinating, and provocative book. Uh, and I'm going to share with you today lessons learned from the book, because I, first of all, I had no idea that Abraham Lincoln was uh, depressed, let alone suicidal, and suicidal throughout his life. Um, having, the, there are numerous written and visual accounts of, I say visual, but uh, of him going off in the woods uh, with a gun. Um, he even talked openly about it. He talked, oh, he shared his despair, his despondency, his pain, his suicidal ideations. He, he was not shy about how he was feeling, um, which is surprising because you think that at that time, men um, kept all their emotions in. But really what I found out from this book is that at that time period, Depression and melancholy were things that were revered at that time. Uh, people loved it when, especially for men, specifically for men, uh, for, for men to be uh, emotional. So, Because when you look at the artists and, and art that was revered by by men and, and uh, the culture at the time, it was artists who were uh, more depressive, more melancholy, and... and uh, a lot of Scottish um, writers and poets, and we'll even discuss Abraham Lincoln wrote poetry and would often read to his friends poetry or books or the news uh, of the day. Uh, and and I'm sure, he, as most of you know, he died at the he was assassinated at the age of uh, 56 uh, at a play by John Wilkes Booth, who. Uh, did not like his ideas about uh, freeing or emancipating uh, slaves so this is such a very powerful book because and the reason why I think it's powerful is because so many you know people and, and my listeners struggle with depression struggle struggle with melancholy struggle with suicidal ideation and and here and you and you feel hopeless and we could feel hopeless when we have these ideas. But here's an example of how to strive through it. Now, uh, granted, like I said, he, he made it to 56, and he had dreams of, and even at that age, he had dreams of going back to school because he only had one year in college uh, and and became president. So he had dreams of going back to school, finishing his education, and and moving on and so forth. So we're going to get into... How depression and melancholy was viewed at that time, and the things that he did to uh, overcome it, and how he struggled with it, and how he dealt. With it. I mean, it's just, it, it was such an inspiring book. Uh, I'll tell you the title one more time, and I'll say it again at the end, but it's Lincoln's Melancholy How Depression Challenged a President and Fueled His Greatness. And I love to read works like this where. Uh, it, it's such a, a, a powerful and uh, inspiring uh, story. So let's first start off with uh, how melancholy is defined according to Joshua Wolf Schenck, the author of this book. Um, in a modern dictionary, the noun melancholy has two definitions. First, it means thoughtful or gentle sadness. Uh, melancholy often qualifies ideas or feelings that are anguishing but familiar and somehow connected to what William Faulkner called the agony and sweat of the human spirit. Thus is melancholy the province of lovers, poets, philosophers, anyone who reflects on the true experience of sentient beings. The second definition of melancholy is the gloomy character of somebody said to have an excess of black bile, right? Um, this refers to an ancient theory of biology called human hum- humoral the theory, which originated 2,500 years ago and hung on in some form until well after Lincoln's death. Uh, the melancholy character fascinated Aristotle, who asked in a famous passage, why is it that all men who have become outstanding in philosophy, statesmanship, poetry, or the arts, are melancholic, and some to such an extent that they are infected by the diseases arising from black bile. Um, A person with melancholy temperament had been fated with both an awful burden and what Byron called a fearful gift. So melancholy was referred to as a fearful gift. The burden was a sadness and despair that could tip into a state of disease, but the gift was a capacity for depth, wisdom, and even genius. So, for us who struggle with those melancholy episodes, you know, yes, it's a burden and an awful gift, as is mentioned in the book, but a gift nonetheless. Because as you, if you can, if you can sit with it and accept it and, and marinate in them and marinate in it. Then on the other side is a gift of, and the gift is insight, right? When, when you're in pain and you're in despair and you can sit with it versus numb it, which, you know, often society uh, condones us doing with different painkillers and pills and such. Um, you'll get an insight into your problems, into your pain. And and your purpose will be revealed uh, at the end of that. Um, Lincoln's melancholy was such that uh, he was, or, or, or in depression, was such that uh, he um, he was put on suicide watch by his friends at, on more than one occasion. It wasn't just once. That's that's how uh, that's how powerful he was, uh, or or, uh, as how vocal he was about the the pain and and what he was going through emotionally. Um, Just a bit more from the book. In Lincoln's time, the word melancholy was used far more often to describe men than women. Unlike today, when nearly twice as many women as men are diagnosed with major depression. In both cases, Melancholy highlights distinctive aspects of a culture's prevailing view of masculinity. Now, what that means is what what's fascinating um, is at that time, men were encouraged to be emotional. And I don't want to say men, but young men, right? And then as you got older, you were then encouraged to go from being emotional to then being reasonable or or you know objective about how you felt and saw the world. So when you were a boy and a young man, you know, uh, up to your 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 early twenties or at least through your teen years, uh, you were encouraged to be emotional. You were encouraged to be expressive and and melancholic, and that was acceptable. And then at some point, uh, you know, society was like, "All right, we need you to think and reason and 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 uh, and be rational here." So. Whereas today, I feel like, you know, if a kid is sad or depressed or melancholic, we immediately want to, um, uh, uh, you know, give them painkillers, get them into therapy, uh, but, you know, make them feel like something's wrong or, or something's bad with with how they're feeling. You know, you watch those commercials, are you sad, lonely, depressed? And it's like, yeah, of course, because that's, that's human nature to add. And, and and of course everybody's different. Some people, um, you you've never seen sad or depressed, or but that doesn't mean they don't have down periods. It's just that some people's down times um, are, are, you know, are lower than others. You know, the 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 highs are higher, lows are lower, um, and then some people are pretty much flatlined. Which you know how that's not fun either, right? Like a life. Should be a slight bit of a uh, of a, of a roller coaster. But at that time when people felt like or were men felt like they were becoming uh, emotional when they were older, they, they called it uh, unmanned. So Lincoln would say, I feel a bit unmanned right now, which to me is a much better way of describing feeling emotional um, it, and because today, you know, we, we say you're being soft or uh, we have some profane words for it. And and really, by saying uh, I feel unmanned is a way of taking ownership uh, for how you feel in the state that you're in. And uh, it, it really, I feel like, describes much better uh, how a person feels than uh, to say I feel weak or... Uh, or just sad. I feel a bit unmanned. Uh, that it's such a strong. Sh- so you guys, you guys can write that down. You know, you're feeling a bit unmanned right now. I'm gonna go. Uh, it, apparently Lincoln also uh was. Uh, you know, he got with a few prostitutes. Uh, is not. It is not uh confirmed, but uh, it it's, it's said to have uh to have happened. Um and he you know he had his little swerve on i mean the dude was 65 he was skinny you know he he wasn't a good looking guy so i could i could understand if he had to i mean how many people were tall at th- his height at that time uh yeah you might have to but that doesn't mean he didn't have suitors uh you know he had women who were uh who were interested so it's not that he was uh he was an outcast in some way and even men were uh drawn to him in terms of uh he had he had his boys he had his homies because Lincoln was a very physical guy he grew up on a farm and you know chopping down trees so he he had that perfect balance of being this uh physically strong even though tall and lanky uh guy who could relate to the everyday man because he grew up on a farm and knew how to chop down trees and 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 um and, t- and tend to a farm. But he also was uh, very emotional. So he had that perfect balance of yin-yang where he could relate to both men and women um, at the at the same level. So uh, that was a beautiful thing. The book itself is broken up into three parts. The first part is fear. It talks about Lincoln's fear. And then the second part talks about engagement. His fear, meaning like talking about his inner demons and what he was going through. You know, he lost his his brother is uh, lost a wife he lost a kid like you know at that time uh siblings just died and people just died at a young age and suddenly from and usually it was like some tuberculosis or flu or pneumonia uh black bile something something was going to get them um and and so he had a lot of fear and he had a lot of inner demons uh he he recognized early on how ugly life can be, and, and how quickly it can be taken away from you. Um, but the, the second part of the book is in an, is the engagement, and that's when he started to run for office and 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 had to be more social, so then the world got to see, and I say the world, but the country got to see who he was privately and to see his, his inner battles and, and demons uh, that he struggled with because, like I said, he, he he didn't really keep quiet about it. He was quite vocal about uh, his struggles and, and the people knew. And, and so, of course, it was hesitancy about having him elected. But strangely enough, fascinatingly enough, it's one of the things that helped him get elected was that he was so vulnerable and so honest. And and that kind of thing, like I said, was revered at the time It's not. Kind of looked at with the shame and guilt uh, that we have today around it. I mean, now you see more and more people opening up about their struggles with uh, mental health, and and it's becoming more and more accepted. But there's still this stigma of going to a therapist, getting help that uh, that a lot of people are still uh, experiencing and and um, not excuse me, preventing people from getting the help that they need. Uh, then a third part is transcendence, where he is, you know, the first part is his fear and his inner demons, and then he expresses his demons. And then because he puts it all out there, he's able to to transcend all his his demons and, f- and use it as fuel to help him get elected and help him, you know, he gets married and, and has children and, To help him grow and to help him serve the country where he takes his demons and he uses that to fuel his greatness and and fuel his passion for freeing the slaves, even though, you know, at that time, that's what they would hang men for. If you, you know, if you uh, did anything to help black people or slaves at that time, uh, you were you were killed for that, which, like I said, eventually he was assassinated for that. But uh, let's go into uh, some of the, the takeaways from the book, you know, or a lot of the takeaways from the book. Um, uh, so in his speech, one of the things that made him powerful when he spoke was that he spoke to people's heart. And, and you knew that when whatever he was talking about, especially on the issue of slavery, you knew that that was he would go to the stake rather than give in. Like that was his hill to die on. And I think that's an important thing because a lot of times when we talk to people, when we're trying to communicate our values, our ideas, our loves, and our passion to people, uh, we get so caught up in the stats and the, the, the number and, and the logic of it all. When really if you're trying to move people, and that was, and he, t- he was very open. He was like, his, his goal was to, to stir up the world. You know quote end quote he wanted to he didn't you didn't he wanted to leave the better the world better than he found it and and the way to do that is to speak to people's emotions to tell stories they they often uh, cite Abraham Lincoln as someone who was a collector of stories and he would use those stories to then uh He would use other people's stories, whether it was stories you read in a newspaper or obituary or books um or or overheard or just talking to people and would he use that he would you would mix all that in to his speeches so that he can then channel that and move people and get them to see uh his side of things to help him like i said quote unquote stir up the world so He wasn't here, even though he had melancholy, even though he was depressed, even though he struggled with suicidal ideation, he was not looking to leave this world quietly. He had he had a mission. He had a purpose. And uh, and he channeled that into his speeches. And so people were moved by what he said. and, And and that goes back to, like I said, him putting it in story form. If you if you if you are butting heads with someone if if you're if you're unable to get through to someone or even get through to yourself tell yourself a story Tony Robbins talks about this so many times he goes you got to change your story your state or your strategy so what, ask yourself what's the story you're telling yourself and what's the story you're telling other people because Whatever story you're telling people about who you are, what your purpose is, what your mission is, they're going to start to buy into that story and they're going to start to treat you as such. Whether your story is you're, you're a king or a queen or you're an athlete or you're a star or you'll never make it or you're going to be successful one day or you're, you're going to write it. Whatever your story is, at some point you keep telling that story, people will buy in. But they only will buy in if you're, if you're speaking from the heart and, and not from uh, some stats or numbers or, you know, yeah, the, uh, the, the, pr- the, the practical side of it. You must stir. In order to stir up the world, you have to stir up people's emotions. So figure out what your story is. That, when the last time you talked about yourself to someone, what was the story you were telling? Were you talking about your pain or were you talking about possibilities? Let me say that again. Were you were you talking? Were you sharing your pain, or were you sharing your possibilities? Right? Were you sharing your 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 um, your problems, or were you sharing your purpose? And and answer those questions, and sit with yourself, and uh, and and figure that out, and. Um, and and if it was more pain and, and more problems, then figure out how you can change that story. And to about possibilities and purpose and passion, write it down. Write it down every day. Write down your purpose. Write down your passions, um, so that you can look back on it in those times of despair and despondency, and and uh, so that you can energize and motivate and activate yourself in the direction that you want to go another takeaway from the book uh he talks about the importance of uh and and how the the three things that can affect you and send you into a place of despair and despondency and one is poor weather right when it's really cold or rainy or um, excuse me just crappy outside you know because poor weather means that you, it, it makes it hard for you to, to be mobile and and get outside and uh, and maybe connect with other people. Uh, so poor weather and uh, and for him, like it was mostly rain and uh, and the cold and and ice. He had to travel throughout the country to give his speeches, and so sometimes he'd be in a city uh, for a few weeks or months and uh, just stuck because of the the, the winter. So. And you know D.C. and and Washington, like all that stuff is over there uh, on the East Coast. So definitely a lot of snow, a lot of cold, um, and uh, and and so a lot of isolation, which is number two, uh, isolation and idleness. So being you know when when we're depressed, and I know for me especially uh, when when I when the sandstorm comes in for Leo Flowers, as I, as I like to call my depressive episodes um I I, I want to isolate and I want to uh, withdraw and be idle, um, but I I have to remind myself of my purpose and my mission and and put myself back out there and do the opposite of how I'm feeling. Now that's not to say that I don't take time. I don't take time to, uh, to be alone, right? There is, because you you definitely um, want to practice solitude, right? Um, now, solitude and isolation are two different things. You know, ice. Iso- when you isolate yourself, you you are you're hiding, right? But solitude is a state of being alone. Uh, it, it 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 means loneliness, but. To have moments of solitude where you, where you are deciding to, to spend some time with yourself so that you can reflect, so that you can be introspective, so that you can do some work on yourself, so that you can get some uh, perspective on the world around you and where you are in life and, uh, and, and how you want to proceed. That's what, that is the purpose of solitude, to kind of recharge you, to kind of let go of, uh, of everything so that you can see the things that you do need to gather and collect and take with you on the next part of, of your journey. You know, uh, so solitude, you know, a lot of people go out to, like, Joshua Tree or they um, rent out, like, a lodge or cabin for solitude, go hiking up in the woods. And it doesn't have to be like a long thing. It doesn't have to be a week or months. It can be something that you do for a few days um, or even a few hours, a a little bit of solitude daily, just sitting with yourself, making that decision uh, versus isolation where it's kind of this passive, it's like a passive solitude where you're not even reflecting or thinking or doing any work. You're just kind of wallowing in your pain and and problems and in your pity, and uh, and so you you end up actually feeling worse and worse. Where with solitude, you actually can feel yourself getting stronger and better and uh, feeling more courageous. So, um, you you know, the, I guess the first part. Uh, despair was uh, poor weather. The second part is isolation and idleness. And idleness, you know, sitting around, sitting on the couch, you know, that that kind of passive, just Netflix and chill, is is not healthy. You know, you got to get up. You got to walk around, do some dishes, do the laundry. But um, uh, go to a meeting. Go to AA. Uh, knock on a neighbor's door. Help out a neighbor. Do something. Do not be idle, start a company, fail the company, get married. But to be idle, that's the devil's workshop. And, and I think when we think about the devil, we think about uh, doing something uh, violent. But uh, often the devil can come in the form of uh, boredom, uh, self-sabotage, uh, overeating, drinking, drugs. Uh, so when we sit around idly, have... Nothing to do. Nothing. Build something. Create something. Crochet. My sister's taking a. Uh, she's learning how to sew now. You know, it, it gives you. If you're a person who um, is struggling with food or drugs or um, alcohol, you know, all those things have to do with your hands. So it's like you got to keep your hands busy. That if you have if if you're if you're building. A deck or a house, and you got a hammer in one hand and a nail in another, there's no room for food in your hands. P- put something else in there. Your hands are are there to, to you know, uh, to be put to use. Uh, there are those old movies, if you remember, with the, uh, uh, the, the I, I forget, what was it? Uh, the, oh, The Adams Family, the TV show, where it was just a hand. And, you know, it had a, a mind of its own and it would be walking around and things like that. And, you, and there's some old black and white movies where it's just be a hand walking around. A hand gets cut off and it's still moving and, and wiggling about. So the, the hand has a mind of its own. And if you don't occupy the hand, it's going to get into some uh, mischievous. Some It's going gonna, gonna to become diabolical. I don't know if that's, I'm just throwing out words. Uh but then the third thing that can trigger uh, your suicidal ideation uh, is uh, stressful events, and this is all according to Abraham Lincoln. These are the things that he had to be aware of, not fearful of. Right? Um, poor weather, isolation, idleness, and stressful events. Because you know the thing with stressful events is is not we we think about stressful as negative events, but sometimes it can be positive events, such as uh, planning a wedding. Uh, birthday, vacations, uh, graduation, moving, things like that, things that um, are in some respects uh, a great thing and a a, a sign of progress. But in other ways, because of the attention to detail and the hours and the the money and time and, and energy that has to be put into it, it becomes very stressful. Um, And even Abraham Lincoln, as his career got better, struggled more so with um, uh, depression um, than when uh, he he didn't have as much on his plate. So, you know, as you and and so that's something to be aware of is, you know, a lot of us want to be more successful and want to grow and be promoted and things like that. But, you know, your, um, your emotional issues, your inner conflicts, can, it, can, it can increase. Um, and so to be prepared for that and not to wait until it happens to discuss it. Like I said, Abraham Lincoln really was vocal about sharing with his friends what he was going through. And, and that's one of the things I, I really attribute to helping him uh, to, to continue to move forward. You know, he didn't hide it. He shared it and was open about it. Um, you know, he, he, he's quoted as saying, every man needs not a... Atten- I'm sorry, this is not um, uh, Abraham Lincoln. This is a psychiatrist, but uh, it's in the book. Every man needs not a tenseless state, but a worthwhile goal. Seeking a newly defined sense of purpose, meaning, and looking at imperfections to seek redemption is the way through. Now, I know this is not the way out, but it's the way through. And uh, and I, I think this is an important point because sometimes we, we think we need to take things off our plate or do less, when really the key to igniting us, to activating us, to getting us out of bed, to giving us a sense of purpose and meaning is to put more on our plate so that you, you don't even have time to wallow and isolate yourself and be idle there's too much to do. Too many people counting on you, and not to say that you want that every day, all the time. Like you said, uh, uh, practicing solitude is very healthy, but not too, um, but not too much solitary, and, and or not too much solitude, and not too much isolation, and or idleness. Now, really big takeaway from this book. This was uh, something that. Uh, was so powerful to me when I read it. He said, if depression is a mental illness because we see things for worse than what they are, then happiness is also a disorder because you see things better than they are. So happiness and depression are both mental illnesses. And and so what you want to do is to see things as they are, no filter. And I was like, wow, that's really fascinating because I mean, that's one of the reasons why social media causes uh so many depressed, triggers so much depression and anxiety because those are filters. We're literally putting filters on what is and then we think things look uh, we think people's lives and how they look are 10 times better than what they are or even 10 times worse and then it makes us sad and you know, it spirals us out in that direction, so you want to really be objective, and, and and a way to do that is, and that's the good, you know, practicing solitude is, is 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 a great way, and then to talk to other people to say, hey, can I can I get some eyes on this? Can you? Here's how I'm thinking about this. Here's how I'm seeing this. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's how I'm viewing this. What do you think? And and, and I know that's tough. Uh, and if you, if you're in a place where you know I have, I know I have listeners in Montana. And a lot of people have pla are in places uh, where they don't feel connected and don't have friends and don't have anyone to talk to. Uh, social media is great for that. There's so many message boards, Facebook groups you can start um, where you can reach out to people. And there, are, and every state has some type of free services. Uh, or you could even call the one eight hundred suicide number if if that if anything and if you're not feeling suicidal you're just feeling like you're at a loss you're feeling confused untethered unmanned unwomaned uh you can call them and at the very least they can then direct you uh in the direction you should go you don't need to know the entire layout of the map of of the beginning and the end you just need to put yourself in a position to get yourself to the next spot so that you can keep going and not remain idle so that we keep you active and activated, right? Um, So I thought that was a a huge uh, takeaway there of, you know, so many books on how to be happy. I just got off a cruise ship recently and in the room was a book on how to be happy after 50. And it was just so much emphasis on being happy. When really, um, you know, I had that, excuse me, that episode where it was our desired state is calm, right? Calm, present, in the here and now. That that's that's where you're looking at things objectively, um, and and uh, versus with this filter of happiness or a filter of of depression or melancholy on it, right? Um, you know, Lincoln was one of those guys who saw the world as less beautiful and more frigid than what it was. But that, but that also is one of the things that uh, gave him the energy to then uh, want to emancipate the slaves and uh, and 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 leave the world better and to stir up the world, as he said. And I actually, you know what? I think I'm gonna put that. I've been trying to figure out what to put on my my wall. And I think stir up the world, uh, which is interesting because my roommate, her whole thing has been eat the world. But I like stir up the world uh, a lot better. Uh, All right. And another thing to tie in with that another takeaway was they talk about how, and we already mentioned this briefly, uh, uh, we already mentioned this briefly. How dramatic achievement, okay, I'm pausing there. Dramatic achievement and dramatic setback can both cause dislocation and loneliness. I'll say it again. Dramatic achievement and dramatic setback can both cause dislocation and loneliness. You know, we see this with a lot of uh, celebrities where, they have uh, a, a lot, a, a, a great amount of achievement, and then they're lonely. When they, there's this called the thing called the, the Oscar Curse, where if you're married and you receive an Oscar, ch- your, your chances are you're gonna uh, get divorced, and then your movies are gonna suck after that. And um, there's been a, a number of cases about that, and so your career, you know, gets worse for a lot of people who've achieved. I mean, of course, there's a lot of instances where the career has gotten better. But uh, for some people, it's been a a kiss of death to to achieve something so great. So that 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 place that you know that you want to get to, that you think is gonna make things better for you. That when you think, oh, if I make this money, or if I get this promotion, or once I get married, or, or whatever it is, the, 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 whatever the, once I get this degree. And you think that once I achieve a certain thing um, that, oh, uh, you know, I won't be lonely anymore. People don't want to be around me and I have all these friends and blah, blah, blah. No, no, you can still feel dislocated and it can still end up feeling lonely because the higher up you go, the fewer people there are that are up there, right? There are 6 billion people on the planet, but when you're in a plane, there's only, uh, you know, what, two, 200 people on a plane so the higher and then and if you go up into space how many people are in space right what three there's like maybe maybe there's 20 astronauts up in space right now if that probably probably less than that probably five astronauts in space at this current so the higher up you go the uh the the, the more loneliness there is and that doesn't mean that you don't <coughs> excuse me, that doesn't mean that you don't uh, as- in aspire to achieve greatness you know, Lincoln still aspired to stir up the world by uh, by ending slavery and, and, and then becoming president so that doesn't mean that you don't climb the ladder, you don't push forward but don't expect that to be the cure for what's taking place inside of you right, um but it, 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 So it's something that you have to wake up every day and be uh, mindful of and be aware of. And you, and you have to accept that, that that's your inner battle and struggle. A farmer knows that they have to get up every day and tend to the fields. There's not a day that you could take off from farming. There's always some bugs or is it some weed or uh, a, a cow that has to be milk eggs to be gotten, there's work to be done. You you don't take a day off from showering or brushing your teeth. There's things that have to be done. And, and hopefully, though, that you, over time, get to a place where uh, the work you have to do isn't as grueling um, as it was on uh, day one. That over time, <laughs> you... Uh, the, the things that you have to do on a daily basis um, uh, are, are things that you enjoy and that you find a way to incorporate um, into your life, right? Um, I, now, another interesting takeaway and interesting thing from this book is that he loved to tell jokes and write poetry. And even though those were outlets for his emotions, they may have heightened his despair and his despondency and his depression. Um, because... Even though expressing yourself in art form is a very uh, healthy way of expressing yourself, it, doesn't, it still doesn't address what is um, ailing you, what is bothering you, what is um, angering you. You're, you're still not uh, addressing it. You're not getting to the root of it. You're expressing it, but you're not addressing it. Wow. Hey, write that down. So it's not enough to just express it you have to address it um, and, and get to the root of it. So, and that's why like you see like with, with comedians, uh, uh, so many of them are so funny and so talented and, and so prolific and, and then yet they uh, uh, drugs, alcohol, things like that um, end up taking their life because uh, even though they're expressing themselves, they never took time to address themselves and, and sit with themselves to figure out um, and because and a lot of it is fear you, you think that if you get rid of it if you get rid of the pain then you get rid of the funny and you get rid of your purpose but really what ends up happening is you redefine what your purpose is and you redefine your mission a, a navy seal when you're in a navy seal when you're in the military you don't have the same mission every time the mission changes Your purpose changes. Sometimes it's to go in and kill someone. Sometimes it's to extract someone. Sometimes it's to build something. Uh, Sometimes it's to gather intel. But your mission is different every time. So you have to be flexible with your purpose and your mission and the meaning of life and know that over time that's going to change. Sometimes your purpose is going to be taking care of someone. Sometimes it's going to be building a school Other times it's going to be uh, freeing someone or or being an advocate for someone or writing a book or taking care of your child or going back to school. Whatever it is, just know that your mission is going to change over time. So be adaptive, be flexible and uh, remain open to those uh, things that you can continue to strive and and thrive. Abraham Lincoln another takeaway is he also enjoyed a good story to him a good story had the same effect as a good drink he said it's good for both physical and mental digestion i feel exactly the same i there's yeah i think that's why there's a podcast called the moth m o t h i think that's why it's taken off and been so huge because excuse me I just ate some popcorn before the podcast, uh, and now I'm all burpy. And I shouldn't have eaten the popcorn because my, my blood type diet doesn't allow for me to eat. Doesn't not that yeah? It doesn't. it's, it, it's listed as one of the things that's harmful to me, and uh, and I still ate it anyway because I was like, it looked good, and it's Sunday. Why can't I have popcorn? But this is exactly why I can't have popcorn because now I'm all burpy and gassy. But uh, but I digress. But uh, a good story is so powerful and when you and and it sticks with you, and like I said it goes back to uh you know what made Lincoln's speeches so powerful is that he incorporated stories and even when you look at country music it's it's why it's loved throughout the world um especially in africa Africa, and, and you go to Nigeria, they love country music they Willie Nelson is big in Nigeria because everybody understands a story every everybody understands a parable. Uh, that's why the the Bible has been around for so long because it has these great stories from uh, the whale to, to Jesus to Moses to uh, you know the parting of the sea to the king who's gonna cut a baby in half. Like, it's just all these very powerful riveting, engaging stories uh, that that when you hear it, you're like, wow, that was so good and uh, and, it, and it takes you, uh, it trans- helps you, um, uh, it elevates you a- out the moment into another spirit, into another world, and, and we love it. Sitting around a campfire late at night sharing stories, or when you go into work on Monday, you know, everybody has stories from, not everybody, but you know people have stories from the weekend, or, you know, what'd you do all day? And what we really want, what what most people do is they run off a list of what they've done, when really, when we say, what'd you do all day, uh, what we really are looking at here is a, is a story. We want something to, to grip us. Um, we don't want this uh, list of tasks that you have uh, completed. Um, one of the, uh, the poems that I, I, I don't remember if he wrote this or someone else wrote this, but it's in the book. Uh, it says, Hope and Despondency. Pleasure and pain are mingled together in sunshine and rain, and, and that's just a—it's um, kind of a synopsis of melancholy, right? Uh, I read it again: "Quote, hope and despondency, pleasure and pain are mingled together in sunshine and rain." End quote. And uh, I think that's just such a, a, a beautiful way of uh, of, of capturing. What melancholy feels like—it's uh, both um, uh, hope and despondency. Where you you feel bad, but you have hope because you have this vision. You know, he had this vision of stirring up the world, even when he was suicidal, even when he was in pain and and depressed. He had a he had a vision. He had a hope that the world could be better, and he could be a part of that. Um, and he also knew that um, uh, in his pain. Uh, that, there, that there could be pleasure, and in this pleasure, that there was pain, and uh, they're just both mingled together. It's kind of like being in Miami, where like the sun would be out, but it'd be raining. I was just in Miami. That's why I'm thinking about it. But you know, in the Caribbean, if you've ever been to the Caribbean, the sun would be out, and it would still be raining. You're like, wow, this is melancholy. I get it. This is a beautiful thing. So so that's a, just a beautiful way. It's just sunshine. What was that song? Uh, and rain. Do, 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 Joy. Doo, pump it up, pump it up in pain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sunshine. And rain. Uh, uh, with raw bass. Oh, yeah. That's the joint. That's the jam right there. Um, now, he is on record for having purchased opiates. Because at that time, that wasn't a big deal. Uh, that was prescribed to a lot of people, especially uh, women, and uh, but he, there is no record of him actually taking the opiates. Uh, it, it's 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 thought that maybe he was purchasing them for his wife or for his kids. Like I said, they were both sick, and um, and so that's that's all there is. But he he also mentioned that he didn't uh, really take to the opiates because he recognized that. Although the opiates would uh, alleviate his pain, it would also kill his energy. It would, it would kill his motivation. It would, it would take away his, his vision, his hunger, to go out there and stir up the world. And, um, and it's, it's, it's great that he realized that from such an early age. For some people... Like I said, it's not opiate. Some For some of you, it could be sex. It could be food. It could be TV. These are all things that help to alleviate. It could be scrolling mindlessly on social media. They can alleviate your pain, but will also kill your energy. If you really want to know if something's serving you, ask yourself how you feel afterwards. Do you feel present? Do you feel calm? Or do you feel z- zapped and um un unmotivated and and numb and 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 when you answer that question you know that that's something that you don't uh need in your life marie kondo you know she talks about going through your she talks marie kondo uh who's uh, wrote the book the art of tidying up and she said you know pick up every object in your house and see how you feel and if it makes you feel stronger then you keep it if it makes you feel weak or or anxious or whatever, you get rid of that. You chuck it, you chuck it. You get the garbage can and you throw it in a garbage can, or you light it on fire, or you give it away, or donate it. You know, uh, Christmas is around the corner, and this is a good time to go through and take stock and in inventory of what you have, and uh, and see what serves you and what uh, no longer serves you, and and, and uh, so that you can go into twenty twenty strong and powerful and nimble and ready to do it. Um, Now, one of the things that, another crazy takeaway from this book is that there's a quote in the book that says, it's not the large things that send a man into the madhouse. It's the continuing series of small tragedies, end quote. And that's uh, Charles Bukowski. (coughs) And the reason why I, I mention this quote is because if if it's not the large things that send you into a madhouse, it's a continuing series of small things, uh, small tragedies. Then the same thing w- could be said of what makes you happy. It's not the big things that make you happy. It's not the big promotion or the marriage or or what have you. It's uh, it's the sm- it's the continuing series of small. Victories of small wins of small joys that that make you happy that pull you out of despair and despondency and, and depression, right? It's the small things, the continuing series of small joys and victories. And so you go, what 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 could those small victories be? Brushing your teeth. Making your bed, taking a shower, um, gratitude list, exercise, going for a walk, journaling, reading something that feeds your soul, meditation. Um, we talk about gratitude, um, getting, getting things done for yourself, taking care of yourself. Uh, uh, Socializing, talking to people, being vulnerable, expressing yourself, getting help—these small little tragedies, putting yourself out there—those are the things that will slowly, over time, lift you out. So then you're not scared to go back in because you go, "Oh, I've been here before. I know how to get out of here." You know, uh, in a podcast before, I was talking about how I've been. uh, I was. We did an escape room, and. It, you know, it's, it's tough the first time you go in. But then once you know all the the answers, uh, uh, well, let me go back. Let me backtrack. We did an escape room, and there were 10 clues to be solved. We solved only four in the time that we had. You only We only had an hour. I say only, but an hour is long enough. But I want to go back and do the same escape room, and now it's going to be a little uh, less threatening, a little less uh, difficult and challenging, because you already know four of them. So it gets easier and easier as you start to figure it out and unlock it. And not to say that it ever gets easy, but um, you just don't want it to be as hard as the first time, right? We want it to to change. Um, There's a thing in the book where they talk about, you know, uh, um, cognitive restriction, right? Cognitive restriction is when the when you start to have this black and white thinking, this all or nothing, and in the book it mentions black and white thinking of like, uh, either you're with me or, or you're against me, uh, it's either now or never, uh, I'm, I'm the best, I'm the worst. You know, we, we do that, we do that in relationships, we do that with ourselves, we do that with life. Oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me, oh, this is the best thing ever. Uh, we have this, you know, and that's cognitive restriction, and it's very dangerous. And the most dangerous word, according to this book, is the word only, O-N-L-Y, um, as in, like, quote, only thing to do, end quote, uh, another quote, only way to get away from it. And you hear this this word used a lot in uh, when you have suicidal ideations, uh, people using the word, like, this is the only way out. This is our only option, and and you hear that in marketing. Um, you, there's this is the only this is the only opportunity for you to blah blah blah. And 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 the truth is there are infinite possibilities. There are infinite opportunities for you, but when you have cognitive restriction, you have a limited view. You're only looking out one window when there are. Infinite windows, and so uh, you'll know that you are restricted cognitively, meaning that you're not thinking, you're not in your prefrontal cortex, you're in that amygdala when you're using the four letter word, the most dangerous four letter word, which is only my only way out. This is the only thing to do, Um, and it. but you replace that with the word infinite. Um, I have infinite possibilities. There's infinite potential. There are, are infinite answers, right? Um, then you start to feel more empowered and you start to seek those out and you start to find those uh, versus uh, sitting in your uh, your cognitive restriction, sitting in that, looking through that small window. When I, I was on a cruise ship, uh, you know, my room had a, a window, but it had a very small window that I could look out of. And and I, but when I went out on a pool deck, when I went upstairs on the 16th floor on a top level, oh my God, my view! Then I had a 360 view, and what a beautiful, uh, much more expanded view there was. And and you couldn't see the ends of the earth, right? You 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 could uh, you could see as far as the eye could see, but you knew that there was more. Versus in that in my room looking through that little hole, I couldn't really really couldn't see uh, too far. I couldn't see too much. The, the 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 ocean looked like a like a pond from there, but from the from the the pool deck, the ocean looked infinite. It went went out into the into the clouds, into the sky, into, and and it touched the sun. You know. Um, In the book, he, he talks about the worst question. The worst question is, what's wrong? Because when you're depressed, the answer is everything. Everything is wrong, right? It goes back to that cognitive restriction. Um, and what we should do is, is ask ourselves, and I, I thought I had wrote this better, is um, what, what's our purpose? What are we here for? What what's the what's the meaning of life? What's the bigger picture? Um, and and when you start to it's it, basically it's about asking yourself the right questions. You know, you could say what's wrong. You could also say what's right. Because if for something to be wrong, that means that there are that, that that means that there are some things that are right. If you're in school and the teacher says that's the wrong answer, that means there is a right answer. Right. So you, you and I and might take you some time to figure out what that is, but it's there. It exists. And so maybe and that's why you get a therapist. That's why you you talk to your friends, because it, it, if you're a student, right, of yourself, of your mind, of your emotions, sometimes you, you don't have all the answers. You need a teacher, a mentor, um, a, a third party um, someone who can who can see things from a different perspective and help guide you in a direction of what's right and what your purpose is, right? Um, and, and even asking, uh, if you have ask a homeless person, a person on the streets, ask a stranger, be like, what's right in the world? How do you keep going every day? And they'll give you an answer. And that's all you need. You don't need to go to a therapist. Ask anybody, ask a stranger. Ask 10 strangers, ask a bus driver. They have perspective. They 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 hear a lot every day. Um, one of the last things I, I um. They talk about how the one of the triggers of depression and anxiety and melancholia in our country has been the rise of individualism. You, you know we. We are very tribal, and when you look at the history of man, we, we and I'm going to talk about this in another episode of, 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 of tribalism, but if you look at the history of mankind, we slept in, we all slept in the same bed. We were very communal. Uh, we were very egalitarian. We come from egalitarian societies where there wasn't much of a hierarchy. Yes, you had, you had the elders, but you had the warriors, you had the elders, you had the hunters, you had the gatherers, and they all were together and, and recognized each other's value. But it, at some point in America during Abraham Lincoln's time was the rise of individualism where before individualism, who you were were dictated by who your parents were. If your father was a farmer then you were expected to be a farmer. If your father was a banker, you expected to be a banker. And you know this because of the last names, like uh, 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 Smith. The name Smith comes from blacksmith. So you had that last name because everyone expected you could could determine from your last name what your occupation was and what you did, right? So if your last name was Smith, Chances are you were a blacksmith, and I and now I know that, and I know uh, what your strength and what your superpower is and, and, and what you're skilled at. So there was kind of almost like a caste system. And then we come to America where it's now who you are is defined by who you make yourself out to be, the path that you yourself carve in life. And so that... Then it requires separation from the group and separation from the tribe for you to forge your own way, and that right there is a recipe for depression and anxiety. Because as we said, um, isolation is not a good thing, and if you, if you if you feel like you have to isolate yourself from the tribe so that you can forge your own path, you're it's that doesn't yield for good mental health versus saying I'm going to collaborate uh, with uh, other people. I'm, I'm going to uh, form a collective so that we can get things done, right? Because um, there is this idea that I'm, I'm self-made. I did it myself. It's like nobody does anything themselves. We all do it as uh, as a tribe. We all um, uh, have people who help us along the way, and there's nothing. That's why when people win awards, they thank so many people. You you have to thank your genetics. You have to thank your your hormones. You have to thank your parents. You have to thank your community, your country. You have to thank the time period that you you lived in. To be thankful that the the, the time period that you grew up in allowed for you to express yourself in the way that you have if you're a computer genius, there weren't always computers. So who knows what you would have done pre computers. Uh, you may have just been making shoes. There's so many stories of immigrants who were doctors or lawyers and accountants in their country and then they come here and because of the paperwork and the school system and et cetera, et cetera, n- now they're just now they're driving Uber. Now they're they're a janitor at a at a high school now they're a, a trash person. And so this idea that um you you are who you are because you you made it so that it's a punch in the face to people who uh have undergone extenuating circumstances to feed their family, to escape communism, to to uh to look for uh, a better life. So Get back to tribe, get back to people. If 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 there's crappy weather, you have to figure out how you're gonna handle that, so that it doesn't it doesn't isolate you and leave you idle, you know, uh, year after year. The seasonal affective disorder is real. Christmas is here, snow is coming, and uh, and and people are gonna start to shut down and hanker down. But but really, it's an opportunity for you to practice solitude instead of isolation and 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 figure out how you're going to rebuild yourself and empower yourself so that when when the snow melts and you open up the door and you walk out into the sunlight and into spring that you're a, a stronger person a more durable person that you are ready to stir up the world. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Thank you for rating it five stars on iTunes. Thank you for leaving the comments. Thank you for sharing the podcast episodes with friends and families and and enemies. Um, Your homework assignment, your homework assignment uh, for this week is to every day I want you to write down your purpose just for that day even if it's small my purpose today is to to brush my teeth and comb my hair great my purpose today is to is to meet uh to introduce myself to five different people great my purpose today is to 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 eat lunch at a coffee shop great my purpose today is to uh journal for 10 minutes. Amazing. My purpose today is to at least go to the gym. I don't have to work out, but just to walk in a building and then I go walk right. Great. Every day, your homework assignment is to write. start your day off writing down your purpose. I love you. Thank you for listening in. Remember, you can always uh, reach out to me or contact me uh, through email before you kill yourself at yahoo.com dot com peace